Turn with me to Exodus 23. We continue our walk through Leviticus here. The Feast of the Lord. And there are seven of them we will see here. We'll cover a, a few of them this morning and the remainder next week. Turn with me to Leviticus 23 and stand as I read uh, the portion of scripture that we'll cover this morning. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, and you shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts which the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And on the first day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work on it. You shall offer a burnt offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. And the seventh day shall be a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work on it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest, and you shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. And on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. You shall offer it on that day. And when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day which you have brought an offering to the, your God. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your dwelling in all your, uh, throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And you shall count from the, yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall bring, offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves and two tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour that shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. And they shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offerings and, the, and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for sweet aroma to the Lord. And then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and two male lambs for the first year, a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them in the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs, and they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you, and you shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout 
your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, you shall neither gather again from the, your harvest, you shall leave it there for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You may be seated. So there are the seven feasts that are listed in the chapter. We read the ones that uh, are the, the first four, uh, depending on how you want to handle the Sabbath. The Sabbath, it's mentioned here because it's important. But we're talking about the Jewish holy days. And so this is the information that was really to be looked at from uh, the common people and their perspective on the holy days. And gives, uh, it tells them the Lord through Moses, that these are his feasts, my feasts. These are God's idea about coming together. As you read through the Gospels, and I've mentioned this before, but you notice that Jesus is always eating. He's going to parties, so to speak. That sort of got him in trouble with the establishment. You know, what are you doing hanging around those sinners? Well, God just happens to love people. He loves sinners. He loves to forgive. He loves to extend mercy. And this whole idea of coming to Yahweh's house... And eating in, in his presence was a, a glorious thing. And God wanted this to happen on a regular basis, ha, basis as a nation. And so this, he uh, inaugurated these things, and uh, they were, these feasts were his idea. It was a place where <clears throat> God could, uh, allow, when the people in coming there together could express their thanks. You know, much like we're doing now, that you come as a nation and you worship and you honor and you praise the Lord. You know, of course, it would be a time of renewal. Uh, it would be a time of reflection. Uh, and then just simply a reuniting of the nation. This is why uh, it's a picture of coming to the assembly of the saints. Coming together to church is an important thing. You know, think of the presence of God here this morning and how we're all edified and built up and strengthened in our faith. This is what, God knows that fallen people need that. And if you're going to stay together, you got to pray together, you got to be together. So it was a way that throughout the year, because we all get busy, we all get wrapped up in what we're doing, and it's hard to say no, and it's hard to put things off. But, and so God knows all those things. So he inaugurated these feasts as a way of, uh, for people to stop. Come, present yourself to me. Reflect, be renewed, be reunited with your brothers and enjoy my presence. What's greater than the presence of God in your life? I can think of nothing more special and more important in my life than his presence. If I don't have his presence in my life, I have nothing. And that's the way we should look at our spiritual lives before God. And of course, this would be a way for the nation to express their hesed, their their loyal love for God. You've been so good to me, Lord. Look at all the, the, the beasts that I have now. Look at my cattle have increased. My sheep have increased. My f- grain. Look at all this blessing, this bounty that you have blessed me with. And that I can come and bless the priest and they can be taken care of. And I can bless your name. And I can come and, with my brothers and sisters and just give glory to your name. It was a wonderful way. So you, as you read through this, you can sort of easily pick up that this religious calendar is sort of aligned with the uh, agricultural calendar. And uh, they would have these celebrations at the time of harvest. And so they would have something uh, 
to bring. You know, this is kind of the theme in worshiping God. How do I come to God and what do I bring? It's really sinful to come to the assembly of God. It's an unheard of thing in Israel that you would come to the tabernacle empty-handed and not present something to the Lord. And this is sort of a, a fault of the church today is many people have, they just come, they go, they, they, they think nothing about giving of themselves. It's, it's what I can get. You know, it's kind of like, uh, well, it's a little bit different than going to the restaurant. You've got to pay for that. <laughs> but, you know, people come to church, they, they don't talk to anybody. They just come, they go, they get what they think they might need, and, you know, well, see you next week, you know. And, and, and that's okay when you're a newcomer, you don't know anybody. We're kind of shy and reserved and a lot of people don't like crowds. We understand all that stuff. But on the, over time, one should be giving of themselves. I mean, this is, this is what it's all about. This is what Jesus meant when he said, more blessed to give than to receive. It's an expression of our love to God and for God. And so uh, the first of the feasts here is the Passover. And then the Passover was a one-day event at twilight, as we'll get into here, followed by the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. And then at the end of that seven days was the another feast uh, of first fruits. They're all tied together there in that eight, nine-day period uh, there in the early spring. And then uh, or at the end of winter, whatever, however you want to say it there. And then 50 days later would be uh, what we call Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. The, you know, it was, you know, the the 50 weeks after uh, the Passover time. And then you would have the long summer go by, which we didn't read here, uh, into the fall, the Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles, which we hope to tackle next week. So that's sort of the general layout here. Now, uh, again, how important it is when you come together and you come before the Lord to reflect upon what God has done. That's why our praise our our worship and our prayer should be filled with thanksgiving as we consider what God has done, his ample provision, his protection, his blessing that's upon our life. And, you know, think about the miracles that God has done in throughout your life. I, I still can't get over, I've been walking with the Lord for a while now, and I still can't get over the fact that I'm saved. How in the world did he pull me out of that mess? Is one day I'm with this bad crowd, and the next thing, I said, I got something better for you, son. Boom. And I never look back. And I'm, I still marvel. It's like, how did that actually happen? Well, I know how it happened, but I don't know how it happened. It just happened, you know. Um, so this is what we should do. We should reflect upon this. Of course, Israel themselves were a miracle, just like we're miracles. It's a miracle that anybody gets saved. They were born from a dead womb, a barren womb, and a dead man, God gave them life, and he brought forth a miracle child, Isaac, which grew into a nation in Egypt, and a miraculous deliverance, as mentioned before. Miraculous preservation for 40 years in the wilderness, 2 million people. The shoes didn't wear off their feet, the clothes didn't wear off their backs, and they were kept from the burning sun and the freezing cold at night. Amazing. God's miraculous preservation through the wilderness. And then think about the wars. I mean, they're going up against these giants, and they're kicking them. 
<laughs> killing them. <laughs> and he took them out. Amazing. God's miraculous pr- protection. And so in this chapter, we've got these seven great feasts, and they actually are prophetic in nature. And this is the part that you know, I really get excited about. When you start seeing what you know, the shadow, you know, the foreshadowing of future events is. And some of them have been fulfilled. Uh, others have not. They're yet to be fulfilled. And this is what it says in second, uh, or Colossians chapter 2, uh, 16 and 17. That these things uh, were a shadow of things to come. But the substance, what really counts, is Messiah. Christ, he's the substance, he's the picture of what was to come. And so these holy convocations were instituted by the Lord uh, to glorify him and to bring his people together. There was a a concern that the people would have, it's kind of like the same concern that we have about taking time away from our jobs or our stuff. He promised the people in Exodus thirty four twenty three, that if they would keep the command, the, the males in Israel, all of them were required to attend at least three of the major feasts during the year. If you, he said, there three times in a year, your young men, your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, and I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. There is a blessing. You're like, well, I can't afford to take off work. You know, I can't afford to do these. You know, they would have had the same excuses that we have for getting alone with God. If you've never been to, you know, to me, this is sort of akin to the conferences that we uh, attend. You know, you... Take the time to lay aside your busyness and seek the face of God. Lord, I need to know your will. I need direction. I just need to it renewed and, and cleansed, and, and I just need to be with you an extended period of time. So if you get a chance to go to a men's conference or a women's conference or a pastor's conference or anything along those lines, you're going to be subjected to good teaching, great worship. You're going to meet people, other brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, people that you're going to meet in heaven, so you might as well meet them now, and and you're just going to have a good time. I've never, ever taken time away like that and been disappointed. In fact, I usually come away thinking, man, I didn't realize how bad I needed that, you know, and that's the way it is, and so I just want to encourage you, if you get an opportunity uh, to do that, you'll be the better for it, and so will the body of Christ. Now, unfortunately, these feasts sort of got out of hand, and they became uh, like we do with certain things. You, you go through this, the ritual. You go through these motions, and so your heart's not really in it. And over a long period of time, that's sort of what happened to the people. In fact, by the time it reached Isaiah's day, God said, I can't stand this anymore. I, I'm tired of your new moons. Your 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 indifferent towards these things. Your appointed feast, my soul hates. I mean, this is strong language. They're a trouble to me, says Yahweh. I worry, I'm worry in bearing them. It's Isaiah 114. And actually, by the time we get to Jesus, he no longer called them feasts of Yahweh 
the feast of the Lord. He called them the feast of the Jews. You guys are just playing games. You, you're not really into this. You know, you, you, you're missing the point. They were stealing from one another, taking advantage of one another. You know, it was just, it, it, it was just wrong on so many levels. And so we start out here in verse 3 with uh, the Feast of the Lord here, and it talks about you know, the Sabbath being one. The Sabbath was what, one day. Uh, the feast normally lasted a week. And the feasts uh, were to be held at Jerusalem, whereas the Sabbath was something that you observed in your home. So there is a little bit difference, but he puts them there. He puts the Sabbath to recognize that this is a holy thing, a holy day. And so this is, was an important thing that Moses put it there for the people. There's two words in verse 1 that I want to point to that Moses used to instruct the people about these feasts. You know, it says at the end of verse 1, they're, they're my, or verse 2, they're my feast. But it is the idea of, of having solemn rest, Shabbathan. You know, we get our word, Sabbath obviously comes from that. So what it implies with this word is a sincere time of rest where you, uh, it's a complete rest in a very formal sense. I'm going before God. This isn't, you know, chilling out. This isn't taking the CEO nap, you know, the, the nap from one to between 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the afternoon to sort of, you know, help your mental focus and mental performance, you know. It's not that. This is a total time of rest because you cease from doing your work and you now begin to think upon what God has done and who God is. That's vital to our spiritual growth. That's vital to our spiritual vitality that we spend time with God. In, in elongated. Sundays are great. Wednesdays are great too. But sometimes we need more than that. And these are why these holy convocations, that would be the second word here, drawing attention to. Again, these are just special times setting aside to worship and celebrate. These were times of... These people were... You talk, we're not very charismatic, you know. And that's okay. We have... There's charismatic brothers and sisters in, in the church today, that's fine too. But these people celebrated. They love God. You know, it's kind of like you haven't seen your grandkids for months and you see them, you're all, Yahweh! you know, you just giddy, right? Well, in a spiritual sense, in a good way, in a self-controlled way, they just express their love and their joy to God. He's my father. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. You know, this is great to be together, you know, that kind of a thing. And these holy convocations were special times for the nations to worship the Lord. You guys enjoy worship? Isn't it, isn't it great? I mean, it's not, just for, it's not for us, but we sort of benefit from it, right? And what a great benefit it really is, you know. And so five of these feasts uh, were, had the holy convocation thing in mind, the Passover and unleavened bread, the weeks, you know, the, or the Feast of Pentecost, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of the Booths where they would 
kind of camp out at the end of the year. Those all had holy convocations uh, that went along with them. So the Sabbath, again, as mentioned, it was a special day. It was observed regularly, and every one of these feast days would start on a Sabbath. The last day of the week, the Saturday, the, what we call Saturday, would be the beginning of their feast day. And so they would uh, stop working, and, and, and God would have their full attention. Now, you know, we talk about going to conferences, and we talk about getting alone with the Lord, but it's what Peter, Peter has this in mind in First Peter three fifteen, 15, uh, as he's writing to the Jewish believers. When you read through the letter First uh, and Second Peter, you, you understand that he's writing to the dispersion, he's writing to Jewish people, and Jew, he's Jewish, and so he, he has a Levitical mindset, the sprinkling of the blood, you can't miss some of this stuff. The, he uses the word pure a lot, you know, the, these are in undefiled. I mean, it's just, you know, he's there. And so, and this is what he says in 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready to give an answer or defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear and with a good conscience. See, when we sanctify God, we set God apart in our minds. This is, this is the intention. I think I beat this drum pretty hard here. You get it, right? This is, this is what it's all about. This is what the feasts are all about. It's sanctifying, setting God apart in your life. How important that is as a believer. And so, you know, when you start to think in those terms and you start to think about what God has done, you can't, you automatically, at least I do, begin to think, man, he's been really good to me. He has provided. Now, not everything in my life is preferable, but but my, the, the good far outweighs the lack or maybe the th- hopes and dreams that I have. When I really look at it for what it is, my bills are paid, my belly's full, my waistline has grown, you know, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. I'm doing okay. But <clears throat> I, I think it's, I like numbers. I hope you like numbers. There's seven feasts. Of course, we know that seven is the number of completion. And God uh, thought that seven would be sufficient number, would be the completely what we need as human beings, is what Israel would need and what we would need. And before I forget to mention this, I think it's important, something that I've ad- adopted through uh, the study of this over the years, is that I, I go three times a year before the Lord. I go to different conferences, uh, uh, and I make it a point to appear before the Lord at least three times a year. No, it's not the Passover or the, un, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it's the pastor's conference or a leadership conference. Or with you guys when we go to the mountain. I mean, just it's a, you're spending an elongated period of time in seeking the face of the Lord. So uh, now you should be, fellas, you should be under full conviction about going to conferences if you have the opportunity to do so. You'll benefit from it. But Archer uh, has a lot to say about this number seven, and I thought maybe it would be good for me to share some of what he has written here. Quote, uh, a religious year is dominated by the sacred number seven. It symbolizes the perfect work of God. Every seventh day is a holy Sabbath. Every seventh year is a Sabbath year of rest for a crop bearing of the land. After seven, seven of years, 
the 50th years is to be hallowed as a jubilee, which is when all mortgage lands would be returned to the original family. Passover was held at the end of the second heptad or abib to the evening of the 14th. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated for the next seven days, and the Feast of Pentecost is celebrated seven sevens of days following the offering of the wave offering there by the priest. And then in the seventh month, Tishri, uh, that is especially sanctified by the three holy observances, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrated seven days. And so you can see these, God sort of communicating something using the number seven here. But looking at verses four through eight, and I'll kind of uh, run through these fairly quickly. Uh, the Passover, uh, or the word that we have in English, is only f- mentioned four times in the Old Testament, which is amazing. But it, it, it means to have compassion or to protect, or to skip over. It's a, it's a pretty in-depth word picture that's given to us through this word. Uh, in Isaiah 31.5, it has a verb that's translated to rescue, which obviously is what happened to the Israelites when they were there in Egypt. And, you know, when God, uh, the death angel, passed over their homes because it was sprinkled with the blood. So, as far as the time when Passover would start would be about 3 p.m. Um, you know, they had to get ready between 3 p.m. And, and sunset because the Jewish day would begin at sundown and then uh, go to the following sundown. That would be their day in the evening. You know, the morning type of thing was the first day, as you see in, in Genesis. And so that whole thought in the Jewish mind, sunset to sunset, would, would be their day. You, you ever notice that if you plan your day the night before you get up and you're ready to go, you, you do a lot better in executing your plan than if you wait and try to do it with, you know, cobwebs in your eyes. You know, huh, what am I doing today? You know, that's not a good time to plan. <laughs> you try to do it before where you still uh, have your senses about you. And so uh, this was uh, also the time, the beginning of their calendar. This will be the first month of the year, the Lord says uh, there in Exodus 12. So uh, Passover was the beginning of their year. Uh, and, and then notice the word here that I find very important here. At the end of verse 4, it says, You shall proclaim at their appointed times. This is one of the things that's easy for us as believers to overlook. God has an appointed time for everything. He's not haphazard. He's a God of order. He appointed a special time for, uh, actually, as we talked earlier about Isaac. You know, Abraham wanted to have that child as soon as he got into the promised land there, you know, five or six years after he left, you know, Ur of the Chaldeans. But that wasn't God's timing. Sarah, it tells us there in Genesis 17, 21, Genesis 18, 14, and then when she actually had the little man on Genesis 21, 2, that she bore uh, Isaac at the appointed time. Now that's something that we can't really understand and grasp. And a lot of times we don't appreciate the delay, the appointed times. 
why does it take so long? I, I think David really sort of wore the the Lord out with that phrase in the Psalms. <laughs> How long, oh Lord? And who hasn't in this room ever been there? If you haven't been there, you will be there <laughs> because we're, we worry of waiting upon God. This is an important thing. The Lord had a set time for them to be removed from the bondage of Egypt. He brought them out 430 years. Well, why 430 years? Why not 230 years? Well, I don't really know. I do know one reason, but he was being merciful to the to those people, that, the Canaanites that lived in the promised land. Giving them time and space to repent. See, we don't, we think when it comes to God's timing that it's all about us. No, no. God is orchestrating things. He's not only working in your life. He's not only working in my life. He's working in a myriad of different ways that it's coming, all needs to come together just like when you shift the gears in your car if you have a stick shift. It's always best when you keep the clutch in long enough to synchronize into the next gear. Otherwise, you know that nasty sound of grinding the gears in your stick shift. Not a good idea. Not good on the transmission. Well, neither is it good for us to jump the gun. Keep the clutch in long enough to allow God to shift, okay? Let him get you where you need to be smoothly, and you'll be the better for it, and and all that God is doing, everybody else that's involved will be the better for it as well. He talks about, in Galatians, that it was in the fullness of time that he sent forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law. I mean, he everything was perfectly orchestrated, taking into account all the choices of the fallen angels, the good angels, taking into account all the choices of wicked men and those that love God, all the choices, not violating any of those free moral agents whatsoever, and yet God accomplishing his purpose and his plan in his time. So, I've learned to appreciate God's time. I remember younger, my younger years, just being impatient about being in the ministry and wanting to do more. And I remember distinctly, it's almost like the Lord was sort of like, I've heard this enough. (laughs) And I remember the phrase, do you want to fall? You know, and we know, you know, I knew exactly what he's talking about. How many pastors have had moral failures how many people involved in ministries have been involved in scandals God is calling you into the ministry he's going to prepare you he doesn't want anyone to fall he doesn't want people to to make their lives a mess and you and you're in the ministry and you fall at that level and many eyes are are white uh, looking at you can really wipe a person out you need to be prepared it's always in the fullness of time Tying this back into God's timing, it brings us back to the concept of prayer. And this is a critical thing. This is why we spend a lot of time in our church praying. It isn't, we're not, isn't that we're trying to be religious or, or to uh, you know, have this super you know, official spirituality. It's a command of God that we're to bring to him our, our petitions we're to pray for one another. We're pray, to pray that the enemy is bound, that God's work you know, goes forth. And, and in prayer, we immediately realize that we're in a battle. 
with an unseen realm that we, we don't have carnal weapons that will fight against them. Wouldn't you love to just take out your forty-five and, and just kill all the demons you know? It doesn't work that way, right? They'd probably arrest you for shooting. What are you shooting at, you weirdo? Our weapons are not carnal. They're mighty through, through God. Let me give you an example of Scripture where prayer changes things. The Pentecostals have this thing, and some of you may be familiar with it. I mean, you don't have to be Pentecostal to, to get this one. But they call it praying through. Now, in Daniel 9, Daniel realizes that I'm an old man now, and I've been here a long time. And I know uh, by reading Jeremiah 24, what we call Jeremiah 25. He was reading through the scroll of Jeremiah and he realized in what we call chapter 25 that 70 years was up. That it was time for God's people to leave Babylon and return from exile back to the land of Israel, the promised land. And so he began to seek the Lord and pray. Chapter 10 says that he went into uh, praying and fasting for three weeks. Then in verse 12, somebody arrives. See it right there on the screen? Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand, to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, we get a little frustrated with God sometimes. I've been praying about this for Two hours, and there's no answer, Lord. What is up with this? And I'm serious. There are people like, they want it. I prayed. God didn't answer. doesn't work. They have no concept or understanding. What that person may be praying about may be what God wants to do in their, in their life. The exact thing that they're talking about. They're praying about. They're talking to God. But they give up too soon. This book of Daniel explains the, the battle that goes on in the unseen realm that we can't see with our eyes, but we can only sense in our spirits. Daniel had to pray through. And I'm telling you, that's hard work. Praying is one of the hardest works. I'd rather go pound nails sometimes. Maybe even pound sand. <laughs> I mean, you know. Physical work is sometimes a lot easier than the spiritual work of praying. But notice the angel says, I was dispatched the very first day that you started talking to the Father. And it's taken me three weeks to fight through the hellish angels and the demonic forces that were between the throne of God and you. But I'm here now. And here's the answer that you have been seeking. God has appointed times for everything. Our responsibility is to pray. Daniel knew that it was God's will for them to go back. We see later on in the book that Michael stands by to do what? Strengthen Darius. What did, what did he do? He signed a decree to send them back. You see, this man's prayers had a wave effect and set the angelic world into action. That's what your prayers do. Do you understand? Are you grasping? Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? We need to be a praying people if we're going to see God work. 
Without prayer, we have nothing. The church of Jesus Christ, we advance on our knees. You want to see people saved? And I do. You do. You want to see the church grow and prosper? Then we learn to pray. Because God's work done God's way will never lack his support. And that comes through our prayer. So important. Coming back, the Lord told him that this Passover was to take place at twilight, right before dark. One night, they would, there, the first time around, took that male lamb without blemish the first year, a lamb for every family. Kill it. Take the blood, take the hyssop, dip it in the blood and wipe it on the doorpost the upper lintel. And when the Lord, death angel, passes through the land, he'll see the blood and he'll pass over. When the Lord sees the blood on your heart and your sins have been atoned for, the death angel's passing over. We've passed from death into life. Beautiful picture. This Passover feast for the Israelis was to be a memorial. They were to keep it throughout their generations forever. You know, the Passover lamb we know is a type of who? The Lamb of God. This is what John said. The Lamb of God, pointing to the Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. So without any interruption from that night of Passover, that meal, the following morning began, as it were, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days. Seven days the people were to eat bread without yeast. Yeast is leaven, a type of sin. So the idea is that the people were to be without sin. When you and I receive Christ, we're born again, we're saved. We're now to live lives apart from sin. God wants us to walk without sin in our lives. From the time that we're saved until the time we enter into glory. God wants us to live as much as we can without sin, to be clean, undefiled, to be pure in our hearts. These are all pictures within this Feast of Unleavened Bread. Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For Christ is our Passover, his sacrifice for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. He's talking to Gentiles here. He's bringing home the truth of that feast. Let us therefore keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the level of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so this is, God's desire for us to walk in the newness of life, having purged the sin out of our lives. We're no longer living after the flesh. We're seeking to walk in the Spirit. We're not working for our salvation. We're, we're serving and working because we are saved. We labor in His field. And then, so those are the three. And then uh, 9 through 14, we have the Feast of the First Fruits. And this, again, would have been... Uh, Right after that seven-day period, they would have that wave offering 
And they didn't do this until they entered the land. At no time did they perform this act while they were there in the wilderness. They had no crops. They were uh, eating the manna, living off that. And so uh, this wave offering, uh, this type of first fruits, was foreshadowing the resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls Christ the first fruits from the dead. He rose on the morning after the Sabbath. And so, those who were raised with Christ, there was a few people walking around Jerusalem after the resurrection. Some of the Old Testament saints were seen walking. That's sort of weird. They're Matthew 20, 27, 28 in that neighborhood. And then we will follow each man in his own time, in his own order. So this is kind of the idea there uh, behind that. And then uh, the last one there, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost as we call it, uh, seven full weeks. And um, this is, again, coming at the little harvest time. They would bring their harvest there uh, before the Lord. Yeah. There, the outpouring, and the, at that time, the church was born. I really I, I sort of agree with Warren Wiersbe as we close out here. You know, Warren, he's now with the Lord, a great writer. The guy was created to write commentary. He's just really uh, down-to-earth brother. But he presents in his commentary in this area <clears throat> uh, this gap between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets is about a four-month period. And so one of the things that was talked about during the time of Pentecost was the consideration for the poor. You know, and you would bring your early harvest there and you would give some to the Lord, but you would remember the poor. Well, you've got a four-month gap, and if they're not good farmers or they're in rough shape, you could help them to, to make it to the fall harvest type of thing. But he looks at this four-month gap as the time of the church age, you know, spiritually foreshadowing the future. So you've got, you know, Pentecost has been fulfilled, you know, back on that day when the Spirit of God came upon the apostles and, and the church was born, so to speak. And then there are many that believe, and I think with good reason, that uh, the rapture that, that will take place at the beginning of the, what we would call the Feast of Trumpets. You know, at the trump of God, the trumpet's going to sound, the voice of an archangel, that kind of a thing. So there's a, uh, you can look this up on your own, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 speak of this. So there's this blast of the trumpet uh, that declares the feast of the trumpets. And, you know, this may be the end of the church age when he gathers the church home. And then these last feasts, these last three, uh, the trumpets, the uh, day of atonement, and then the the uh, Feast of the Tabernacles will be fulfilled by the Jewish nation uh, before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So good information here. It's really sort of in that manner, but I was hoping to find some things that might be applicable to us uh, since we don't observe these feasts, neither are we commanded to. But if you want to go to a Passover, you're more than, you'll, be in, you'll be enlightened. We've had a few of them here at the church. And maybe in the future we'll do a Passover. Those are kind of fun to kind of look at some of the things that Jewish people used to do. But uh, in closing, I just um, 
again, just exhort you to uh, plan your year. It's still early. We're just in beginning the, th- the third month here. Make it a point to plan to get alone with the Lord. Maybe you can't attend a conference, but you can take a few days to just get alone and be with the Lord. It would be best if you went to a conference because you'll get good teaching. You'll have an opportunity to worship. You'll, you'll just, it's just an atmosphere of, of God's presence that's just overwhelming. It's, it's because all the people that are there want to be there. And so it's, it's a great time. So uh, that would be my encouragement to you. Plan to spend time with God. Ask God to, to just work in your life to make you more and more a prayer warrior. You know, we, we've got this exhortation from Paul <laughs> that keeps us all praying for this in our lives. And he said, pray without ceasing. I don't do that. I'm not, now you think, well, I've got a job to do. I can't pray that often. Well, I don't know that he's saying that, but it's, we should have a prayerful paradigm in our minds, our hearts. That should be our view. We're in constant communion with the Lord. You don't have to be on your knees to pray. Sometimes bodily position does show the position of the heart. There's nothing wrong with that. But pray without ceasing. That's our goal, to be in constant communion with the Lord. And, you know, give thanks. You know, follow our motto. Do what you can with what you have where God has placed you. What can I do here, Lord? Show me, what, show me what I have that can be used here. How can I further your kingdom? How can I serve other people? You know, this is the mentality of a believer. And so to these ends, may we you know, truly be reminded uh, that God loves us and he wants to spend time with us. That's why I'm encouraging you to get alone and to have a great devotional life and, and to spend as much time as you can uh, with the Lord. He'll be the better for it. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you thought this would be a great idea, and Lord, it is, and it was a great idea. Look at all the good fruit that has come from it, and it just, again, demonstrates, Lord, how much you care for us and how much you want to be with us, and so draw us into that place where you are. Take us where you're going to be, Lord, in Jesus' name. Shall we stand?